Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. Happy Halloween. I've had ghosts and goblins up and down my street all evening. I'm glad it got dark because I, I hope I don't get any more. I'm upstairs in the back of my office. I had to lock the front door. I won't be able to get downstairs uh, to get rid of some more candy. I like Halloween. It's an exciting time. Uh, I used to enjoy going with my kids. Uh, when they were small, I'd stand on the curbs. They went door to door. It was fun time. Well, not a very funful week. A lot, a lot of bad things happening. Some may be good. All I know is it's so easy to find topics to talk about. Trump gets involved in everything, has everything screwed up, and it's a scary world, too. I'm going to start tonight with Paul Manafort. You've been reading about him for the last 24 to 48 hours. He's one of the two gentlemen who pled, uh, who were indicted yesterday uh, by Special Counsel Mueller in federal court in Washington. Uh, he was indicted with a former partner associate of his by the name of Rick Gates. Each was indicted uh, with 12 counts, means 12 separate charges, which involved money laundering, uh, income tax evasion, lying to federal officials, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is big time stuff, my friends. Paul Manafort's bail is ten million dollars, and now I want to put it in perspective: what ten million dollars is in a courtroom for bail? Mafia figures, dons, when they have been arrested, aren't held in ten million dollars bail. His partner Richard Gates uh, was held in five million dollars bail. Uh, both are going to be doing house arrest uh, pending the trial, which means they can't leave their house except to go to church, the doctor, uh, to see their lawyer, things like that. Uh, this is the beginning. You know, the beginning could be when Mueller was appointed. No, this is the real beginning. This is like we we torn the, sc- the scab off the wound, and it's going to fester a lot now. It isn't going to heal right away. It's going to fester, and every time it festers, someone else is going to get indicted. Uh, this thing still has a long way to go, this investigation. We're, all, we're at the beginning. I'd say we're maybe 30% into it, so we're well into next year, I, I, be- I believe. The interesting part yesterday was a gentleman by the name of George Papadopoulos, Papadopoulos, George Papadopoulos, 30 years old. Um, He was a former Trump campaign advisor. Whether he was a big shot or a little shot, it's hard to determine. Uh, The White House doesn't know him now. Oh, he just was passing through. He was an intern. Yet they've got a picture on the Internet all day today and all day yesterday of him sitting in a conference room with the president three or four seats away from him and Attorney General Sessions two seats away from him. He was arrested earlier this year, in July, I think, and pled guilty uh, earlier this month. This all indicates this. He's a cooperative witness. Uh, He's going to be a witness against everyone else. And for all of this, he probably will do no jail time. Uh, He's probably worn a wire and had conversations with people that the authorities are investigating. Uh, As long as he is willing to be used, to keep his ass out of jail. That's how it works. This is the way it is, our, my friends in our, our court system. Uh, he will, this young man will not do jail time. He's actually doing a service. He is. He's recognized he got involved in something he shouldn't have, 
And now he's saying, screw it, I shouldn't go to jail for 10 years for these guys, and that's it. Now, observations. Um, observations. Manafort's attorney, following the arraignment yesterday morning, came out to a slew of microphones, and boy, was he upset. I mean, I've been in this position. Understand what I'm saying so I know where I'm coming from. He was very upset, like he had walked into that courtroom yesterday and got hit with a bunch of surprises he did not expect. Uh, And now he's thinking, holy shit, I thought this wasn't going to be that difficult to defend. It really is. I did not expect certain of these charges. These are my words. I could tell from his attitude what had happened. Definitely, no question about it. And... Did I mislead my client by telling him, don't worry, we can handle this, we can handle that? Uh, He's in a very difficult position. He's got a big-time case ahead of him. Uh, He got beat up. I could sense he got beat up in that courtroom. Okay. I want to talk about Donald Trump for a moment. I'm going to talk about Donald Trump with regard to children. Three separate, distinct episodes involving children and our president. Trump likes to deport people, young and old, children, middle-aged. He doesn't care, families, no families, deport them, you know. Uh, He seems to think that everyone in this country thinks like he he does, that they want people deported, and we don't. Uh, you got to get the system a little organized, but not just picking people up on the streets like the Gestapo did in the 1930s in Germany and getting rid of them, not to a concentration camp here, but to a nice detention center and then either on an airplane or driven across a border. Age does not seem, or circumstance, does not seem to apply to any of these situations. He doesn't care what the problem is, the background is. And some of the people he's been deporting is just sick, this whole problem program that he's instituted, how he's got his people working, is sick. So let me tell you about one of those sick situations. This happened in Texas, Texas. Her name is Maria Rosa, 10 years old. She was brought to the United States from Mexico by her parents when she was three months old. She is not a citizen. I don't know why, because Since her parents came, they have become citizens, but she has not. Excuse me. She was in an ambulance on her way from one hospital to another for emergency surgery. She had a gallbladder problem, had to be removed. She also has cerebral palsy. The ambulance was stopped at an ICE checkpoint. The deportation officers had a checkpoint. I find this amusing. The only ones I've ever seen in my life are here in, were in New York and here in Florida, and they were drunk, for drunk driving. They have uh, deportation checkpoints where they check to see if the people give me your papers. If they haven't got papers, they're on their way out. Well, they wanted to take custody of the girl. They didn't care. She was going to a hospital. They didn't care. She was sick. Finally, whoever was driving the ambulance and the people on there, the medical personnel, convinced them this girl needed surgery and she had to go. So they let her go, but they followed her, and they stayed with her in the hospital all the time. Now, ICE wants her deported. Uh, 
and they don't care that her parents are citizens. When Rosa left the hospital, 10 years old now, Maria Rosa, just comes off gallbladder surgery at the age of 10. Uh, She's got cerebral palsy. They didn't send her home. They sent her to an immigration detention facility in San Antonio. You heard me. An immigration detention facility in San Antonio. Her parents were in Laredo, 150 miles away. Now, all I ask is this. Excuse me again. Where is the conscience of those involved? Where's the conscience of the president? I don't think he's got one. Where's the conscience of these ICE officers? How can they work in in an industry, a business, an occupation, where sometimes they have to hurt people? Uh, I've known policemen all my life. At one time I represented, I was the attorney for every civil service police officer in the state of New York, all 55,000 of them. Uh, I, I know a lot of officers. They were close friends of mine. They weren't like these people. They weren't like Trump's people or the, these border guards, the deportation people. Uh, I ask again, where's the conscience? Again, the people of America are not all unhappy with immigrants. We are all, we are all, we all come from immigrants. My mother was born in Italy. Let me talk about homeless children and Irma. Irma has had an impact in the Florida Keys here, uh, unquestionably. Uh, Key West was hurt, but not that bad on a comparable basis to just 16 miles away. When you go to Summerlin Key, Cudjo Key, Big Pine, Almorada, there is real devastation. Uh, I I can't can't tell you. I mean, tractor-trailers turned over, cars blown away, houses moved from I don't know where to another place sitting on their side. Houses. So it was bad. Now, we live in Monroe County. Monroe County runs from Key West to the border of Miami. Most of Monroe County is the Florida Keys, Key Largo through Key West. Prior to Irma, approximately 100 students were homeless. Yes, there's still homeless families down here, I think all over the country. And they were living in cars and trucks, et cetera, and going to school without taking a shower, uh, not brushing their teeth, et cetera. Uh, because the, the modus operandi to do it didn't exist. Well, as a result of Irma, in addition to those 100 I mentioned, another 320 are homeless as a result of Irma. Another 320 children. And where are they living? They are living in cars, trucks, in the mangroves, and under bridges. Now, Monroe County, we worked hard down there. I'm going to tell you something. We were ready for Irma. We didn't expect it as bad as it was 16 miles north of us here. Uh, and everybody's still pitching in to correct the situation. It's going to take years. Uh, but everyone's pitching in and doing something. Monroe County, and our government has been very good, has requested 9,200 FEMA trailers for the entire state of Florida. Now, remember, this Irma went, you know, came over the Keys, went straight up to Keys and straight up Florida has requested 9,200 FEMA trailers. Guess how many have arrived so far for the whole county of Monroe? Ten. Only ten out of 9,200 requested. And to make it even worse, FEMA advised it only has 1,000 trailers allocated for the whole state of Florida. Uh, How will the problem be solved? 
Will it be resolved? I don't know. We're, we're coming to a point now where everybody's pitching in, cleaning up the garbage, the debris, et cetera, et cetera, uh, sharing sometimes an apartment with someone, sharing a room with someone, uh, sharing food, sharing water, clothes. But this is now getting bigger, and it's getting uh, people are getting a little cantankerous, and you can't blame them. Where am I going to live? Sometimes the government's supposed to take care of us. I think this is one of those times. But it's a problem down here. 320 additional children homeless and don't have a trailer to live in because the government ain't got enough of them. And I'm not blaming the government not having enough of them. They, you know, they had Harvey, they had Florida. I can understand it. But something's got to be done. You just can't say, I don't have enough. The other issue involving a child, and this doesn't involve Trump, uh, but this is a sickening situation. I, I'm going to talk, this is black-white to a degree also. Black-white. Black-white that you saw in the South back in the 50s and 60s, I think. Uh, here's the scenario. You make your own judgment. We're in the state of Mississippi. It's called Pearl, the city. Pearl, Mississippi. Okay? I have a habit of when something screwy happens, I, say, and I write about it, and they say only in Key West. This could happen only in Mississippi, only in a southern, southern state like Mississippi. A mother was in a car, a black mother. Uh, she was sitting in front. There was a black driver. Her four-month-old baby was in a car seat in the back where the baby belonged. The car was stopped by the authorities, by police, two police officers. No reason was given. Uh, speeding wasn't involved, the back tail light was out, none of those things. Uh, but they wanted to examine their papers, another give me your papers situation. And it turned out that the driver and this mother had unanswered misdemeanor charges. So, and properly so, these two were arrested. Now we got the baby there at the site, okay? The baby wasn't arrested, just the mother and her friend. The mother called her mother on her cell phone and said, you better come and get the baby, Mama, I'm being arrested. The grandmother got to the scene well before the police were taking anybody away and said, I'll, I'll take care of the baby. Give her to me. And you know what the police said? They said, no, we are deeming the baby. We are declaring the baby abandoned, quote, unquote, abandoned under Mississippi law. And we're taking her into custody as a public charge. Well, stupid so far, but not bad. It gets worse. Uh, the misdemeanor charges were resolved in due course. Now, everything's being wrapped up in the courtroom. We're in the Pearl Youth Court, City of Pearl Youth Court, in the state of Mississippi. The judge is John Shirley. The mother said, okay, can I have my baby back? While all this was pending, and I don't know how long, she didn't have her baby. The baby's a public charge. The judge said no. And the reason no is because there are court costs pending. You see, when you get arrested today, I don't care what state you're in, uh, governments are broke, and they realize, let's make the people arrested pay the court costs for whatever it is. And that's how they run their courts now, not off your tax dollars, off your penalty dollars. So anyhow, he says, no, you got to pay the court costs first. I don't know how much the court costs were. Whatever it was, she did not have the money. 
So the judge makes an order in writing, in writing. He places the baby, fortunately, in the custody of the grandmother. But at the same time, in the same order, he prohibits the mother from having any contact at all, contact with the baby. So she can't see her baby even at her mother's house. Now, sort of screwy. These things aren't supposed to happen. A not-for-profit organization got involved and represented her interest in getting the baby back. From the time she was arrested by the police to the time she got her baby back, thank God for this organization, took 14 months. The baby was four months old when last she saw it, and later was 18 months old when she saw it again. Isn't that ridiculous? A mother and child separated like that? Now, the judge was a smartass. Ain't no question about it. And what happened is the, the powers to be in the city, because this not-for-profit organization told, told the judge, we're going to make an issue of this uh, publicly. This is ridiculous. And they did. The judge was forced to resign. Good for him. And the city of Pearl closed down the youth court. They disbanded it, and they said, we're taking all the youth court cases and transferring to an older court that's been in existence. Well, those are my children's stories for the evening. I want to talk about Trump and the opioid uh, emergency crisis. I don't know how we want to label it. Let me tell you, my friends, when he announced a few days ago that we have an emergency in this country, we have a crisis, and I'm going to see that it's taken care of, he did nothing for the people of this country. He did nothing for the addicts in this country. He did nothing for the people who were dying in this country. He did nothing but glorify himself. He had his 15 minutes in the sun again. Because it all comes to money. And he was very, he did this smart. During the campaign, he says, this is a crisis. I'm going to take care of it day one. Well, instead of taking care of it day one, like everything else, he didn't take care of day one. He could not. He, he uh, appointed a national commission to study the problem and make a recommendation. The commission said, oh, my God, we've got a national crisis. You've got to have national – you've got to declare this a national emergency. You have to stay with me. There's an emergency and a national emergency, two different things. Uh, and let's get money into this right away. You've got to declare war on it. And uh, he still waited three or four months. He said he did not need to do what the commission said. He and Attorney General Sessions, just a sweet guy from Alabama, he and Attorney General Sessions, or George, I forget, where is he from? Uh, anyhow, they were going to take care of it. Well, this past week he isn't taking care of it. It's very simple why. He finally realized he didn't know what he was talking about. This is going to take billions of dollars. It's going to be a declaration of war that's going to take 15, 10 to 15 years, in my opinion, to resolve. In the meantime, 142 people are dying a day from opioids. 64,000 died last year. Now he's saying, I declare this an, a, an emergency. I declare it a crisis. I'm going to distinguish on these words in a moment. At the same time that we don't have a Secretary of Health and Human Services that would deal with this problem. You recall Tom Price, his Secretary of Health and Human Services, last month. Uh, he resigned. He was the guy who was hiring private jets to fly all over the country or the world. Uh, and we don't have a drug czar. 
because the drug czar Trump appointed, it was determined that he had close connection with the pharmaceutical houses that make opioids and sell them in this country. So this is typical Trump, this move. Big public relations at the beginning, okay? And then what does he do? He throws the responsibility to someone else. This responsibility will ultimately end up with Congress. And if Congress fails to appropriate the money that's needed for this, which is big-time money, uh, (laughs) it's not his fault. It's Congress's fault. It's never his fault. It's always Congress's fault. Okay, I'm still not done with this, though. The financing depends on the words where the money comes from. Emergency, national emergency, or crisis. For purposes of what I'm explaining, an emergency and a crisis are one and the same. A national emergency is a different thing. What he should have done and what he he had to do this, and he didn't, and he knows the difference, a national emergency is under what we call the Stafford Act, It gives access immediately, money access from the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Immediate bucks, and they're required, big bucks, okay? All right. Now, it's hard. It's the same agency that provides money for hurricane victims. So, instead of doing that, he said, look, this is an emergency. It's a crisis. Never said national emergency. And the way this is going to be dealt with, he said, this, because it's labeled just an emergency and not a national emergency, and it's labeled a crisis, we're going to use all our efforts, we meaning the national government, federal, state governments, local governments, private organizations, monies, and we're going to assemble all these people quickly to put up money, okay, to provide the backbone, the structure to go after this problem. I hope I explained it properly so you understand. He's done shit. He's done nothing. How long is it going to take to put an organization together who don't have to give money, can give money if they want to? Where the hell is it going to come from? We're talking waging World War II against opioids. He provided a Band-Aid resolution to an injury to a problem requiring major surgery. Typical Trump, I I can't help it. Typical Trump, I did a big thing and he passes the buck to somebody else and he's done nothing for for a particular group here. Okay, we're going to go to Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, this is a good story too. Uh, You know, what are we going to do when Trump's no longer president? Because stories were never this good under previous presidents. Uh, I want to talk about Puerto Rico, their electrical crisis. They're still 80% of the island. Six weeks after Maria, Hurricane Maria, have no electric power, okay? Forget they don't have water and everything else. I'm just going to talk about electric power. Well, somebody's got to go in there and clean, you know, resurrect, rebuild the, the electrical system. The poles are down, you need new light bulbs, new wiring. So you can appreciate the extent of the problem. There are 2,500 miles of power lines to be rebuilt and fixed. 2,500 miles of power lines to be rebuilt and fixed. Uh, what is, was, was proposed to be done this past week, okay, 
covered only three or four transmission lines 100 miles long. So 100 miles, they were going to do a job where this needs 2,500 miles of assistance and help. What the governor did in Puerto Rico is he he entered into a contract with a company called uh, what the hell is this? White Whitefish Energy Holdings. White Finish Fish Energy Holdings. And it's by him he can do this. Where he's going to get the money from, I don't know. I believe that government that money would ultimately have come through Congress. Uh, but anyhow, he entered into this contract for three hundred million dollars with this company from Montana, uh, Whitefish Energy. Now, Whitefish Energy, the company's only two years old. You know how many employees it has? Two employees. They're the principals. They probably never changed a light bulb in their lives. They get this $300 million contract uh, to correct the situation in Puerto Rico. Without me even telling you anymore, something has to stink in Denmark here. Okay? The Secretary of the Interior, who oversees these things, his name is Paul Zinke. Guess where he comes from, what his hometown is? His hometown is Whitefish, Montana, the same place where these two guys have this company that's only two years old. It gets even better. (laughs) Uh, There is a, this company, Whitefish, uh, Whitefish Holdings, Whitefish Energy Holdings, is backed by a private equity firm. These two guys don't have the money. Somebody else does. And it's called HBC Investments which is headed by a Joe Colinetta, Joe Colinetta, Colinetta. He was a major donor in the campaign for Trump. He was a major donor to the Trump Victory PAC also, and he has he has supported with dollars other Republican candidates. So between Zinc and this guy, somehow these guys got this contract that shouldn't have gone to them. Because I don't know if you're aware of it, and I wasn't until Puerto Rico, and I learned something. We have these crises all the time, whether it's by fire, by hurricane, or what. Uh, and they took care of the problem in Houston in two weeks. And they took care of the problems with electrical hookups here in Florida in two weeks. Why? Because there already is a system it's not one company, it's two companies and then peripheral companies that have been set, were set up years ago and are organized, and they know what they're doing, and they know they're going to be needed in Houston. Do you know that some of these people to fix the electric power system in Houston, were, they, were there days before Irma even hit? They were there days before Irma even hit. It was Irma that hit them or whatever hurricane. That's what they do, and they were here in Florida in certain spots days before Irma hit, because that's how they operate. That's why they get everything done so quickly, and they know where to pick these people up from different power companies all over the United States. Everyone knows what they're going to be paid. Nobody, There's no negotiation on fees, et cetera. It's a set system, and it's been working. Well, apparently these two guys who own and run this this electric company in Whitefish, Montana, didn't know about this. So they went out and tried to negotiate contracts with everybody and bring them to Puerto Rico. Everything got screwed up. This is why it's been delayed. This is a, a contributing reason for the delay, because they've only been at it a week. Uh, it just got screwed up. It couldn't be done. The governor has said it. The contract's void. They declared void. 
and he brought in this group he should have brought in before that always goes out and takes care of these things. Now, what else can I tell you about these people? It stinks. That's all. It stinks. It stinks. It stinks. Uh, it stinks. And I want to say something, because I told you there's a Secretary of the Interior who lives in the same town. you got this rich uh, financial supporter to Trump and the Republican Party. Trump, one of his promises was he was going to Washington to clean up the swamp. Well, I think he's adding to the swamp, and this is an example, big time. Because what does he do? Look, what do you expect of a Secretary of the Interior? If the president can make money off his hotels and his golf courses and not let us know when he promised he was, he was going to separate the money so he wouldn't make a profit. If his daughter can be doing business big time with China, I mean, they give her all kinds of concessions. Everyone's making money. He is and his family. Why shouldn't everybody else in government? Okay, that's the show for tonight. Uh, let me share this with you quickly. I wrote a book, I probably told you about it last week, about the hurricane, Irma and me, because Irma chased me from here to Pompano to Atlanta and then to Birmingham, Alabama. The book, I am promised by my publisher, will be out this week. Look it for it on Amazon.com. Irma and me by Louis Patron. Thank you for joining me tonight. I look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>